The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning, I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is David Roddenberry. He's the founder of Healthy Wage, which is the only U.S. company that pays Americans to lose weight and get fit, allowing members to bet, and I bet I guess is the key word, on their ability to lose weight. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, David. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I have to add, you're a very smart guy because you graduated summa cum laude from Harvard uh, in neuroscience, and you have a master's degree in health policy So from the London School of Economics. So here are your credentials. Um, so Healthy Wage, you've been in existence for six years. Uh, tell us, what is Healthy Wage? How do you bet? What do you do? You work with corporations as well as, I guess, individuals. Um, how do you lose weight and bet on losing weight? How does this work? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of us are at a place with our weight loss where we know what we need to do, you know, eat less and move more, but we don't do it, you know, where we're not rational. And so healthy weight is the motivation to stick with what you intend to do. Uh, and we do that in two ways. One, you put up your own money. Um, when you uh, Behavioral economics shows that when you have money at risk, you're going to be more motivated. And then we uh, pay you. Uh, if you're successful. You can win up to $10,000 at HealthyWage.com for losing weight. And so the combination of I'm actually going to put my money at risk. If I don't lose the weight, I lose my money. And then the opportunity to win a big prize, I mean, a a big prize, not like, you know, $50, like $5,000 if I'm successful at losing weight, um, makes you stick with what you intend to do. And uh, we find it's very effective at uh, helping people stick with their weight loss goals and make positive lifestyle changes. All right, so how did you come up with this idea? You're talking about six years ago. I mean, there are so many weight loss kinds of ways of losing weight, I guess, from, you know, Weight Watchers is one of them, and they had the show The Biggest Loser. I had a few people on from The Biggest Loser on this show. Um, where, how did your idea about betting on your weight, how did that evolve? Where did that come from? Yeah, well, you know, I... As you made me blush over the microphone, I, uh, you know, I do have a very academic background, and there's research that came out uh, in the um, uh, New England Journal of Medicine and the Journal of American Medical Association about the power of financial incentives for weight loss. If you have two people start the exact same weight management program and you tell one of them that you'll win money if you're successful, the exact same weight management program, the people who are going to win the cash prize, we're three to five times more successful at losing weight. I mean, it makes intuitive sense. If you pay people to do something, they're more likely to do it. But to actually see that and realize that a lot of uh, weight loss is really a motivation problem and not an education problem, I saw that as a huge opportunity um, to, uh, you know, to apply the research that, that's been uh, published and, uh, and commercialize and give everyone the opportunity to make their weight loss more successful and win big cash prizes for losing weight. 
Well, does the amount of money have something to do with it? Because I'm thinking, like, you know, I was always one of these weight, uh, the Weight Watchers people, you know, from 20 years ago. After I had my babies, I'd go to Weight Watchers, and you do have to pay to go to Weight Watchers. So there was that incentive, you know, I'm paying to go here, so I better lose some weight. But yours takes it, what, a step further because there's more money involved? Yeah, so it's not just the sticks so the payment, you know, showing up to your Weight Watchers meeting and putting the, you know, 10, 10 bucks or 12 bucks, whatever it is now, into the, uh, to the fee uh, keeps you accountable because you say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit my goal. I'm not going to keep paying this 10 or 12 bucks a week um, to, uh, you know, to come to the Weight Watchers meeting. So that's the stick part. That's the money at risk. And we uh, complement or supplement that with uh, the prize. Uh, up to $10,000 grand prize for losing weight, and it's in your control. It's something that if you do it, you win the money. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And we find that for a lot of people, that's exactly what they need. Um, you know, it's a tangible goal. It takes something that's amorphous, like I want to get healthy, and it gives you the structure of I'm going to lose 40 pounds in six months, and if I do so, I'm going to win $2,200. And so people start to, you know, spend that $2,200 in their mind. They want a new clothes, a new wardrobe. They want a trip with their family. Uh, they want, you know, some time with their daughter. And, and uh, you know, they, they, they visualize those things that they're going to do with their $2,200, and it really helps them stay on track and, um, you know, and abstain from their cake uh, or, or get, get a little more active um, going to the gym. So what about, David, now, okay, so they get, they win their $2,200, they take their trip or buy their, you know, new wardrobe or whatever they do with the money. But then how do you know, do they, do they maintain the weight loss? I mean, do you have any research to say, well, okay, now once they've done that, once they've won the money, do they go back and start stuffing their faces again or what? Well, we, you know, we have a, actually a maintenance program. It's a maintain, don't gain challenge uh, that you can register now at healthywage.com uh, where you put some money in and you win money if you just maintain your weight. Uh, and so it's, you know, you don't win a lot. This is not where you're going to have that $2,200 prize, but you're going to win, you know, $5, $10 if you stick with your weight. Um, so, ha- again, having that money at risk, um, you know, having that accountability of a team and a structured uh, challenge provides them with that, with the accountability to, to, to stay on track. So, and, and also, I mean, I think uh, it's, it's easy for us to say that the weight loss is the easy part and the maintenance is the hard part. Um, but I, I think for a lot of people, the weight loss is the, is the hard part. I mean, you're talking about losing 40, 50, 60 pounds um, for, you know, for people who are overweight, and that's a significant lifestyle change. It's hard for them to, uh, to crystallize that, and this provides them with the accountability to do so. So what about all the reasons people have, now, you know, the, uh, I don't know, the reasons, excuses, whatever it is, for gaining the weight in the first place. I mean, does that just doesn't really make any difference when you're going to win, when you have this big cash prize? I guess 10000 is the most that you can win. But it's like, you know, you, you, you people are obese because they don't have access to good food. They don't understand what good food is. I mean, you, there's a whole list of things. Are they, it's, even, it's in their DNA now. They're saying they have no control over it. How does that fit into the picture? Does that just get wiped away? If there's money at the end of the rainbow, then they just are able to lose the weight? Well, again, I think uh, philosophically our um, approach or philosophy is that it's uh, fundamentally a a motivation problem, Um, you know, that there's so many places where you can go for fantastic education about what you need to do to lose weight. Um, And if you uh, surveyed, um, you know, 100 people who are overweight and and asked them, you know, how do you lose weight, um, people understand fundamentally that they need to eat less and they need to move more. Um, so, it, you know, from our perspective, it's, it's really, it's a motivation. It's an action problem. 
It's not a, um, uh, a lack of education or understanding about what you need to do. And so, you know, for different people, the, the motivation is going to be uh, different. Um, but for a large portion of uh, people, that cash prize is what they need. Um, to stick with it. It's not, not all of us are, are money motivated. Maybe some other, uh, some people are more um, social motivated. So we have team challenges where, you know, you don't want to let your team members down. That's another powerful um, a motivation when you have that accountability. If you're not successful, then they're not successful. Um, but in terms of, you know, all the myriad of reasons, um, you know, there's, you know, our, clearly our culture and our society is moving in the wrong direction with respect to weight. Um, we keep getting fatter. Um, and, you know, and the trends over the last 25 years are scary. Um, but uh, on an individual basis, um, you know, we think that if, if you're ready to make the change um, and you, you put up your own money at risk uh, and you have the opportunity to win a prize, you're, you know, you're going to dramatically increase your likelihood of, um, of being successful. David, you mentioned team challenges. Okay, that's different than individual challenges. How does that work? Yeah, so we have individual challenges where you would uh, decide how many pounds you want to lose over how many months, like that example of 40 pounds in six months, and we would tell you how much we'd pay you. In the team challenge, you get together in a group. Uh, it can be teams of four to nine, and, uh, and you compete as a group to lose weight. And so it's the average weight loss for your group in the competition. And it could be a, a group goal, like just 6% weight loss for your group, and you win. Or it could be an inter-challenge um, uh, against other teams. Uh, where, you know, the team that does the best uh, wins the prize. So we have sort of different structures of um, uh, challenges for for different participants. But the core concept of having a team uh, we find to be very um, effective. We also have activity-based team programs where you can win money just for getting more active, Um, kind of the same concept as a team. You know, if your team gets more active, uh, you, you can win cash prizes from those who aren't able to get as active. Okay, walk me through this. I'm, you know, I'm 50 years old. I need to lose 120 pounds. So what do I do? I, you know, I'm sitting here in uh, Albany, New York, and I've decided, you know, I, nothing has worked for me. I've tried to lose weight, and it never works. And here I have this incentive. I can, what, bet on myself or do a team challenge? Let's- yeah, well, for, you know, first we would encourage you to talk to your doctor. So, you know, make sure that if the timing is right, that you're ready to lose weight, um, and, you know, get your doctor's clearance. Um, and if your doctor says, yep, you know, I fully support you, um, yeah, go ahead and lose weight, we, uh, you would come to our site, healthywage.com, and you would decide how many months you wanted to lose weight. Um, and if you're going for a big goal, like 120 pounds, we would recommend, you know, a longer time period, so probably 18 months. And you would say, okay, I'm going to commit for 18, over the next 18 months, I'm going to lose 120 pounds, uh, and in order to, to do that, I'm willing to put up, you know, $20 a month for, for those 18 months. So that would be $360, and then Healthy Wage would likely pay you somewhere around $2,500 if you're successful at, at achieving that goal. So you would have a, a decision to put in the $20 a month for the 18 months. You'd have that $2,500 prize to be working towards, and, um, and then you would uh, get your weight verified uh, just to confirm how much you weigh. So that doctor visit at the start, your doctor uh, could um, sign a form just telling us how much you weigh, or if you didn't want to visit your doctor, you could make a video of yourself getting on the scale. And, and then you would um, uh, log in, you would, you would sign up at HealthyWitch.com, and then we would support you for the next 18 months with online tools, mobile app, uh, content resources to help you be successful at losing weight. And then at the end of the 18 months, if you've lost the uh, 120 pounds, we would pay you the, um, the money that we agreed to pay you, probably somewhere around $2,500. 
David, but then you're betting on people. How do you make money? You make money if they don't lose weight, right? So how does that work? Well, I mean, and- we have a, well, we have we have a variety of um, uh, support, financial support. So uh, our uh, sponsors include employers that offer uh, pay us to run programs for their um, employees. Uh, we also have um, uh, sponsors like Health Systems, who we partner with to offer community-based uh, challenges. And then, yes, absolutely, the participants who are not successful at losing weight, um, their um, money goes to, to fund the $2,500 prize for those who, who are successful. Absolutely. What? Okay, so what's the percentage of people who are, who do lose weight? What are the percentages? Well, we don't we don't talk about that um, publicly, um, but it is um, more than twenty five percent. More than twenty five percent is that what you said? Yes. Okay, so more than a quarter. Uh, all right, so it's it's all. Is there any like I'm thinking? I'm sitting here. I'm on my computer. I get I, what I verify my weight either through my doctor or I take a video of myself. Um, yep. Isn't there a room for people to to cheat? I mean, it seems to me. I mean, how if you're just taking pictures of yourself on the scale and how much you weigh? I mean, because somebody else could be on the scale for you. I mean, how do you kind of work through all of those possibilities of, of cheating on this program? Well, you know, it'd be sad if people would uh, want to cheat, but we, you know, we feel like we have a pretty robust process for the verification. The video has a few steps in it, um, so it's not just like a picture. It is a full video, and it has uh, four steps. Uh, you're going to show us the date, so you didn't, couldn't have made the video, you know, two years ago when you were 120 pounds heavier, and now you're already lighter. Um, so you're going to show us today's date. Uh, you're going to show us that the scale's not calibrated. So uh, in the past, some people have tried to fix their scales. Um, so you'll get on and off the scale, make sure that it zeroes out, and then you'll do a full body rotation. So you'll have a, a shot in front of the mirror, or you'll have a family member take your video um, of you um, uh, rotating just to make sure that there's nothing in your pockets um, and you're not sort of hiding weights um, as, as part of your um, starting video. And then you'll get back on the scale just to confirm um, that it um, you know, goes back to the, the same weight. So there's a few shots just to make sure that it's fair. Um, I would say that... Um, Cheating is a very rare. Um, you know, we catch people, um, but it's um, you know it's about a half dozen a year, uh, and we're you know we're in our sixth year, and we have thousands of participants, tens of thousands of participants. So it's a very rare for people to want to um, test the fates and you know test their integrity, um, you know, to uh, to cheat. Right, so you have some incredible stories, obviously, and I guess the most incredible would be someone who's won the ten, who's been a ten thousand dollar winner. Can you talk about that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, the uh, health improvement. So we, we had a, a recently a woman in uh, Seattle um, who she, um, you know, had been struggling. Uh, she was about 50 pounds overweight, and she had had that extra 50 pounds for six years. Um, and she'd been trying, like, everything under the sun to, to lose the weight. And she had stumbled on the, um, the paleo diet. And she really liked that uh, concept of, um, you know, sticking with a, um, uh, you know, sort of a diet like uh, our ancestors, I think is the, the, the way they think about it. And, um, and, and she, had, she had been doing that and she'd been finding success and that she heard about Healthy Wage too. And she uh, lost the, the 50 pounds um, uh, and she won $10,000 um, for doing so. And, you know, when you make the, the kind of health improvement, you know, you're down 25, 30% of your starting weight, you know, the medication um, adherence uh, that, you know, the number of drugs that you need to take uh, goes way down. Um, so typically our customers are either off of their 
uh, diabetes um, or blood pressure medications, or at least they're taking a lower dosage. Uh, and just the, the level of activity, um, you know, when you think about how many more things you're able to do with your kids or your grandkids uh, when you lose that weight, I, I think that, that's always, to me, the most impactful um, when people tell us about, uh, you know, how losing the weight has um, uh, really allowed them to live the life that they intend to live. So it, it it impacts your entire lifestyle, obviously. It would seem to me you mentioned, of course, people take less medication. The thinner you get, the, uh, the healthier you get, all those reasons. But uh, diabetes, because diabetes seems to be on the, uh, on the upswing in the United States. It, it sort of rises with obesity, obviously. So, like, if you are um, helping to lower the incidences of diabetes among people and obese people uh, as they lose weight, how, do you work with insurance companies? I mean, there must be some kind of a connection, it would seem to me, that to uh, help people lose weight and lower perhaps your insurance costs. Is that... Absolutely, that, yeah. absolutely. I mean, we are we are working with um, many of the Fortune 500, uh, more than 90 uh, companies, large employers. We work directly with them, uh, and then we also work with insurers. And they're, you know, again, they're grappling with these these trends um, that are just going in the wrong direction. They, when you look at healthcare costs, the obese, morbidly obese, so that's a BMI, body mass index above 35. Um, plus the diabetics are the most expensive groups um, for them to treat uh, because the medication is so expensive and because you have to monitor your glucose and you're checking in regularly with your doctor. So these are, you know, from a cost perspective, high, high risk um, individuals um, from, from an insurance perspective. And, and from a, a lifestyle perspective, these are people who are not, again, living the life that they intend to or want to live. And so, you know, anything that they can do to get them engaged and then making positive health uh, lifestyle improvements is um, is fantastic. And so they find that these challenges, it's really um, it, it activates a switch for people um, where they're sort of by putting in their money uh, at risk and saying, "Hey, I'm ready to do this." Then they're open and they're willing to take advantage of the coaching programs that the insurance company offers, um, or they're willing to um, you know uh, increase their adherence to their medication because they want to to make a positive lifestyle improvement. And so you know the challenge is not um, by any means the only uh, thing that people are doing to lose weight. It's complementary um, to you know to a, a commercial diet program or a, a coaching program, but it, it, it engages them so that they're ready and able to um, to take advantage of those other resources. Uh, David, how do you respond to these groups that are saying, well, you know, and, and I don't know specifically or it's not necessary to name them, but, you know, we're heavy, we're fat, we're overweight, we feel good about ourselves and uh, we're healthy and there's no reason for us to lose weight and you're just trying to shame us, make us feel bad about ourselves and, uh, and, and it's, it's actually discriminatory. Well, you know, that's, that's the great thing here is that this is voluntary. So, you know, when a, when a company brings us in, um, the, would they still have the participants uh, make a financial investment or commitment to join? Um, and you're not forced to do it. I um, mean, it's something that where they, the employee or the participant is saying, hey, I'm ready. Um, I want to make a positive lifestyle change. I am tired of this, uh, carrying around this excess weight, and I want to be able to enjoy my lifestyle with my, with my kids and grandkids. And so, you know, for those who feel like that they're at a um, – you know, they're comfortable with their weight, um, you know, in spite of taking medication, if they are, um, you know, that's, that's their personal decision. Um, this is an option for people who are looking to uh, make a lifestyle change and are ready to do so. 
um, then, you know, having that um, uh, financial money, both at risk and the opportunity to win a big prize, uh, really is going to help catalyze their positive lifestyle change. And it's interesting you should say that because if you work in a company and one of these Fortune 500 companies, and it is voluntary, but you know, you're sitting around with your coworkers and you're sitting there 50, 60 pounds overweight and two or three of your coworkers are involved in a program like Healthy Wage, there is that competitive nature. You know, well, maybe after a while you may I don't want to use the word cave in because it's really a good thing to do, but you may take a look at yourself and want, and and it sort of, it does set up that competitive challenge. Well, maybe I should lose weight also, and it gets people involved. Just kind of, uh, I I guess, the the social competitiveness of it, you know. um, Yeah, you know, large employers are really trying to have a culture that attracts and retains talent. And increasingly, wellness is a, is a big piece of that. You know, we, we shop when we go to grocery store. A lot of us are, are shopping um, from a wellness perspective, trying to, um, you know, make healthier decisions for our families. And, and, and companies are finding the same thing, that, you know, sharing these types of activities, regardless of whether someone gets involved or not, um, just helps facilitate a culture where um, wellness is valued, uh, where you're supported as you make positive um, lifestyle decisions. And it, it, um, they're finding it's, it's very important um, that employees who are, are engaged in uh, wellness activities are more engaged at work. Uh, and so, you know, this is a, a part and parcel with attracting and retaining um, uh, talent. Yeah. It's not just physically. I mean, I think sometimes we've separated the mind-body thing that if you lose weight, yes, you're going to be able to engage in more activities. You're, you can, you're healthier and at, with, at home with your family, with your grandkids. But I think the other piece of it is also, and this maybe relates to work more, but your brain functions better. I mean, it's not just your body is thinner, but it seems you're able to think more clearly. I mean, being morbidly obese or obese really does affect, I think, how your brain works. And so that's going to affect the kind of work that you do in your organization. Oh, absolutely. And there's no doubt that sugar is an addiction. I mean, you know, and when you're addicted to sugar and you're needing a sugar fix every hour and a half, I mean, you're focused. I mean, you, you have the fix and then your blood sugar drops in your, uh, and you need another fix. And it's ex- exceptionally distracting. Uh, exceptionally, um, you know, you feel out of control. Um, you know, like you, you absolutely need another, um, you know, uh, snack. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, very distracting. Uh, whereas, um, you know, when you're, um, have that under control and whether that's, um, you know, medicated, um, so you're taking your, your diabetes uh, medications or, um, you're losing weight and making a positive lifestyle, it makes a huge difference. I mean, you know, it's, it's a physical, uh, and it's a, it's a mental piece too. And, and companies, uh, find that, you know, from, a absenteeism, you know, people missing days at work, um, as well as presenteeism, just being at work and, and being there mentally, um, having um, uh, weight loss uh, is, is a big piece of that. People who are, are at a healthy um, or, um, you know, a moderately healthy uh, BMI are, are more likely to be present at work when they're, when they're there. Well, now, you've been doing this for six years, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show. Now, have other... I mean, are you? Do you have competition now? I mean, because you've been doing this for a while, right? And you've had a lot of success, and continue to have success. 
what's happening? Are we going to see other uh, organizations or other there are? Com- yeah, there are. Yeah. There are companies uh, who come out and, and are offering similar types of programs. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a it, competition is a fantastic thing. It forces you to have a, a better product. You can learn from each other, um, and so yeah, we've been fortunate to to have new market entrants. Um, uh, you know, in not exactly the same space, but similar uh, types of opportunities. And, um, and so we, we see that as a, this is a, a growing market. Um, you know, people, particularly uh, millennials, um, are shunning the traditional weight management uh, programming um, that's been out there. They're looking for uh, a, a more of a holistic approach on wellness. They're looking for something that's um, uh, a um, you know more mobile that they can do on their own time. Um, and they're you know they're 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 not um, going to, to existing commercial uh, weight loss providers, but but they are taking advantage of uh, programs like Healthy Wage. How does social media fit into this, or does it? Oh, it's huge. It's huge. I mean, you know, social media is a, is a place for you to make a commitment um, to yourself um, that you're um, going to, to lose weight and make a positive lifestyle change, and you have a, a sort of a group who you can support and follow your journey. And so people who are successful typically are engaging um, with their, their social uh, connections, whether that's your family and friends saying, hey, I'm losing weight, can you help me make better decisions, or it's your larger social network um, online through the, through the social media. It's just different for different people in terms of where they share, but, but having um, you know, sort of that social dieting concept where you're um, leveraging a group and, and, and talking about your successes and struggles um, really goes a long way to, um, to ensuring that you're, um, you're successful at sticking with it. What about the demographics? Because I was thinking about, like, okay, you have teenagers who are really obese, let's say, and then you have grandparents or people in their 60s and 70s who are obese. Um, like, can teenagers, I mean, in terms of betting, because you are betting, I guess, how does that work? Can they do that? Are they uh, online? or uh, is it, say, we, just, Yeah, we're yeah. 18 plus. So as long as you're an adult, uh, you can take advantage of healthy wage. Um, and our um, age range uh, goes up to, we, we recently had a woman who was 89, um, win a program. Um, so, you know, it, it skews from uh, or it, it uh, spans from 18 to 89. Um, but the, the median is somewhere around 40, um, 44. Um, so it's, you know, concentrated in the sort of the 30 to 50 year old range um, with a, a distribution extending on, on both um, tails. Yeah. So why do you think it is 40 to 50? Is it sort of like midlife? Okay, I've had it now. I really don't want to carry around these extra 50 or 100 pounds and I'm 40 years old. Or uh, Sometimes people's health, I guess, has gotten to a point where it's, it's dangerous for them in terms of medicine they have to take or you know, the possibility they're going to have a heart attack. Or, um, and that sort of occurs around that age cohort. Yeah, I'm, I'm not exa- entirely sure, but I think the health is, is the biggest uh, Delta, um, you know, you're, you're at Health a place where your doctor is finally telling you that yeah. if you don't lose weight, your, you know, your life is, is going to, it's going to impact not only your uh, quality of life, but also the quantity. Um, and you, you, you may pass early if you don't, um, you know, make a positive change. Yeah. So in other words, it's health. It's not necessarily looks like you're not losing weight because you want to look necessarily. No, obviously I, you want, I, I don't. Yeah. I, the, yeah, no, the vast majority of people, it's not a vanity thing, and particularly when you're, um, you know, you're morbidly obese, um, you know, obese. Um, people are, it's not like I want to fit into my skinny dress. Um, it's like I need to do this, um, you know, for my, my children, for myself, for my granddaughter, um, you know, and, in order to, um, you know, to, to, to stick around. 
Yeah, it, so it's not I have to lose those five pounds or the ten pounds. No. It's, yeah, that, no. okay. Yeah, so I guess, well, the name of the company, Healthy Wage, is really the, the right name. We have a couple minutes left. Just want to make sure that everybody knows uh, how they can get engaged if they want to in terms of the website. Uh, so what is, we go to healthywage.com if, if we want a, more information. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, go to healthywage.com. Again, talk to your doctor. Make sure that you're ready to lose weight. If you are, you just decide if you're, you're a better fit for an individual or a team-based initiative. And if it's team, uh, if you like the sort of social connections, you can form new friends and get team together um, with other folks at Healthy Wage, or you can invite your family members, your coworkers, um, or, you know, your friends to, uh, to participate with you. And, um, you know, just uh, figure out for yourself what, what's it going to take uh, to help you, um, you know, stick with your goals and, and, and um, you know, um, make that, that, that positive improvement that you're looking to, to do. Great. Thanks so much, David, for being on the show this morning. We obviously learned a lot. David Roddenberry, and he is the uh, founder of Healthy Wage, uh, weight loss wagering. You can go to healthywage.com for more information. Thank you. We're going to take a short break. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on voiceamericavariety.com and World Talk Radio. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Tune Elizabeth each week for Monica and featuring Phillips a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in each week for Monica Phillips and powerful conversations. This is a thought-provoking show for business people, leaders, and entrepreneurs. We'll feature today's thought leaders and industry trendsetters from across several locations and industries. Give yourself permission to be inspired and live a fulfilling life. Be sure to listen to Powerful Conversations, live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is author Bess Thomas Cohen. Uh, she's the author of Drop the Act, It's Exhausting. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Beth. Thank you very much, Catherine. Nice to be talking to you this morning. 
Well, Beth has been, you've been in the fashion industry for 16 years, co-founder of the public relations agency B Squared Public Relations. Uh, I want to give all your credentials here. Beth launched <laughs> new fashion brands and breathed life into older ones. She, you previously worked as a senior director of uh, Livid Eni and Company, yep. an in-house public relations director at the luxury accessories company Lamberston Truex, and also worked in the fashion department oh, at Oprah Magazine. Uh, and now you live in New Jersey with your husband and children. So, um, yes. okay, and now you've written this book, Drop the Act, right. It's Exhausting, Free Yourself from Your So-Called Put-Together Life. What does that mean for us, Beth, in terms of, this is for all you ladies out there. It's a great book, by the way. So it, gives um, us- it means to embrace all the imperfections in your lives and kind of, I think for a long time, I mean, I definitely have always aired my improper thoughts about things, <laughs> um, but I think that a lot of people don't um, and a lot of people should. And, and once we do, I think, you know, there you air much less judgment on, uh, on yourself and other individuals. Um, and you're able to have much better kind of interpersonal relationships because you're coming from all the truths of how you really feel. And but when you read your book, I think, I I think should... it's really important because it really strikes me women have this issue, obviously. And not to say that men never do, but I think Agreed. just like in the introduction of your book, you say, you know, women some have somehow even today have difficulty talking about our own opinions, our own observations. We're still trying to please, which I can't believe we're still doing this in 2015. We are. But we are. And yes. we, yeah. And yes. yeah. why? I, I mean, what, I think yeah. that, you know, I think, we, and I think that for, I think there's a reason um, for, for me personally that there were, just so many years that I was kind of quieted down and, oh, no, you know, if, if, you, if you talk to her, she'll really tell you what goes on. And I couldn't understand why everybody else couldn't jump on my bandwagon. And then I found myself kind of conforming to what was, quote, the norm and changing who I was to fit into different types of groups. And, um, you know, I come from a mixed race background and I was very fortunate to live, kind of grow up in a more affluent area. Um, And I went to private school and all these kinds of things. So I was kind of different anyway. So adding on the fact that I was totally outspoken was, I think, a little overwhelming for people when I was like 10 years old. (laughs) So I stopped and I conformed and I made, you know, I made bad choices in relationships with with guys. I found the wrong group of friends. And I didn't particularly like myself not being myself. And, you know, then I figured, you know, this isn't who I am. And I kind of just stopped and I thought, this is how I really feel about things. And if you don't want to be my friend or it's too much for you or I'm too different from you, I look different, so I act different, then I kind of was like, okay, you know what? You're not my friend. And I realized when I did that, how more genuine my relationships were and how many more people actually liked me for me. When did you do that? At what point did you say, okay, I can't do this anymore. I can't be, you know, ashamed or apologetic about who I am or what I do because it was right. I mean, that's who you really were. I mean, that's what you wanted to do all along, but you kind of didn't. And so how old were you and what happened? So it's Yeah, and I think it's so horrible for me to say this because we still live in a day and age where I walk into the Starbucks and um, my my youngest daughter is platinum blonde um, and very fair-skinned. My mom happens to be white. My father was black. And, and they still call me. They ask me if I'm the nanny. We still live in this kind of environment. So in my head, I thought, oh, as I got and older, you, you know, the world would be different. 
I want to, well, what the do world you is really when... not so different. Yeah. Um, but I think I started developing, I think my, my, I would like to say, quote, my worst time in my life was probably those years between the ages of, you know, maybe seventh, seventh grade, eighth grade through graduating high school. And as soon as I got into college, I felt a little bit more liberated in the sense of, okay, there's a whole different type of community of people that I can kind of dip into, and I can reinvent myself to the person that I am. But I still conformed a little bit. I think I fell back in my same ways and into a group of girlfriends, you know, that probably weren't um, the right ones or all weren't the right ones. And it took me, it probably took until I graduated college and I started working at Oprah. And I realized, I looked around me, I'm like, okay, you know what? She has a really appropriate message. <laughs> and I, start, yeah. I need to start listening to her. Well, um, you're in her corporate culture. Hey, you better join, right? Yeah. Kind of. And I'm thankful because the fashion industry can swallow you whole. Um, and that was the kind of laid foundation for me. So I would say probably in my, I was this type of person until the probably age of about 12, 13. And then I realized, okay, wait, you know, I'm so outspoken. And it's scary to people because I'm also mixed race and, you know, I'm just not the quote norm. And so I think I quieted between the ages of like 13 and I want to say maybe about 20. Maybe but now, could- Beth, how about this? I mean, our president is, I mean, <laughs> leader of the free world. Is, oh, my God. Yeah, there you go. Did that, I mean... Oh my God! Why anyone would ever want to do that job? Period. Well, that's something else, but <laughs> I can't totally. imagine. Yeah, I but he mean, has black, yeah, has white. Just, yeah. yeah, I. You know, it was. It's. It's such a pivotal thing for me to see the evolution of things occur, um, and to pe- You know, to for people to actually open up their mouths and say like this is how I feel about things, or um, this is how I don't feel about things. I think there is a delivery in. And I talk about it in the book. I'm not saying it's not the thou shall not lie kind of truths or anything like that. And I do think that when you're conveying a message or having a conversation with somebody and you want to give your genuine feelings, that you have to do it appropriately. I'm not saying stand up on a chair and scream, you know, scream curse words at someone. But I think that in doing that in your interpersonal relationships, I mean, politics is a, a perfect example, um, you can, your, your level and your relationship with that person or those people becomes deeper and much more honest. And you're able to accomplish a lot more, I think, as well. Um, I, you know, you have, what, two daughters, so how is like I, I don't even I don't even know how God did that to me. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I have three sons, so you know, two different kinds of challenges, I guess. <laughs> with it, yeah, totally, yeah. So, but you have these uh, your two daughters, and yes. uh, so how do you convey this message to her, to them, both of them? Like what you know, so that it's different for them than it was for you, for obviously, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I really try. I'm a very big, um, clearly big on communication and open lines of communication, and I don't like a lot of smoke and mirrors at all. So I try to be as honest, appropriately honest for their age as I can. Um, I think, you know, I have a five-year-old, so one is in kindergarten, one's nine in fourth grade, and I think the fourth grader, you know, my depth of conversation about we just lost, unfortunately lost a family member, and and having a conversation about death, I can go a little bit further than I can with the five-year-old, but I still have that conversation with the five-year-old, so it's no different than anything else. I mean, unfortunately for her, the younger one, she really is very fair and, and blonde, so she's always next to me when people say, 
oh, you're not her mom or she's your nana. And I turn to her and I say, I need you to understand something, that mommy, you know, mom, nana is white and dad, and my father was black and, and my husband's also Jewish, so I decided to add more fuel to the oh, fire. Oh, more. <laughs> I mean, why not? <laughs> yeah, um, and I, I really it. do sit her down and I say, it is not what somebody is, it's who they are and here are the things that you might hear and this is not appropriate and we don't judge on X, Y, and Z. I mean, I know that they sound like a really, really adult conversations, but I have them with them. And Always. eventually you keep having that conversation with, with your children and it seeps it, you know, it's sort of like you say the same thing Six. over and over and then at yeah. a certain point they, it's sort of, they're able to accept it or understand it and, um, and it makes sense to them. It may not the first time you say it like you, like you're talking about. Okay, those are your daughters, but now what about other women? Because, uh, you know, how do you empower or help to, I mean, besides obviously your book, but how yeah. do you, Power the women around us, not just the younger women, but, you know, middle-aged women who still find themselves in, in, a, in positions of just not being able to be who they really are or express Absolute who they are. Conversation. Yeah. What I'm hoping the book will do is, of course, I did a lifetime of research, and when I mean lifetime, I mean literally a lifetime, but I kind of test-marketed the concepts with um, my mom actually just had her 70th birthday. Um, my mother-in-law is 68. I mean, I had conversations with women of all different demographics and ages so that I would, I didn't want it to be off-putting to any one person, including a lot of my guy friends. And the message, it's a, what I wanted to do is I wanted to spark conversation and discussion like we're doing now. And my hope is by opening up this kind of can of worms or Pandora's box, for lack of a better term, that we will start talking about these things so people feel more comfortable being forthcoming and conveying their feelings and having uncomfortable conversations and calling out the elephant in the room. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that we can just, you know, I don't really don't take a particular position in the book. It is basically saying, here it is, talk amongst yourselves. So that's what I'm hoping it will catch on kind of like, you know, like wildfire. Yeah. And I think it will. I think that my, my favorite chapter, so I want to talk about that chapter where you, uh, and you bring a lot of, um, uh, concepts into this particular chapter, but 40 is the new 20, which is always, oh, I love always that you love that. that was always that everybody's favorite chapter. It, yeah, because you know what? 40 is not the new 20, and 50 is the not no. new 30. And <laughs> it's, I mean, talk about deception and really how that's laid on women uh, is just something, I guess it does resonate not just with me, obviously, with a lot of women. So, um, that's a horrible thing that they, that they, whoever they are, has perpetrated on it's us. It's terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. I just think that why, and I, I don't think that, you know, it's, it's like twofold. If you're 40 and you feel 20, awesome, because I just turned 40 in September, and yeah, I kind of feel 20. I mean, if I drink copious amounts of wine the night before, I'm not waking up like I'm 20, <laughs> but, you know, I, yeah, I feel 20, but on a literal level, I'm not I'm not 20, and why, have, why did we create this thing where we felt like we had to why 40 had to be 20? Like, why can't 40 just be 40? You know, why can't we be the age we are if we are, you know, comfortable within our own skin and we are, you know, there's all those kinds of things that help with aging. You're health conscious. You exercise. Whatever it is to make you feel good about yourself, then I'm a big believer in it. But I don't think that we have to send this message. I don't have to send this message to my 9-year-old that I'm turning 40, but really 40 is the new 20. 
it's just completely putting the emphasis in the wrong area as far as I'm concerned. And I think it's a real setup for women. If you keep telling them or telling us that 40 is the new 20, then I think you really, with, in reading that chapter in your book, it was kind of like, well, I'm trying to be absolutely the same weight I was when I was 20, and maybe I'm yes. three pounds more than that. And I spend a lot of time and a lot of energy at real, at, to trying to lose those three pounds or make my skin look like it did when yes. it was 20. And it never will happen, but think of all the wasted time and energy. I say energy. On focusing on yeah. that. And really, who wants to be 20 again when you're yeah. 40? <laughs> yeah, think of all, I don't want to be 20 again. I wasn't so great at 20. I didn't have the experiences that I have now, or the, or the wisdom, no. or all those kinds of things. Um, no. Yeah. No. So it, it, it's really key, but, I mean, it just really continues, I, you know, I think, always trying, particularly with women. I don't think that you see that with men, do you? I mean, men say, you know, they, it's not used in the, or described in the same way for men that uh, 40 is the new 20. No, I, you know, I, I think that I, it's so interesting because, and it's funny because InStyle Magazine covered this chapter too. It really is like a very popular, popular chapter. And we were trying to figure out some other acts and how to drop them when I was writing in, like an original piece with them. And I was sitting talking to my husband about it and he goes, and he truly, you know, and he's read the book, but he's not thinking about that chapter the way that you and I were thinking about that chapter. And he said to me, why would I want to be 20 again? He was like, I, I, he's like, I drank way too much beer. I was yep. kind of stupid. He's like, and I made a lot less money or something like very, very matter of fact. And I was like, yeah, he goes, uh, he's like, I don't even understand that. But I think that we live in a society and me especially, I mean, and I've conformed this way and then had to kind of knock myself out of it, especially in like the media industry, which I'm sure you know too, mm-hmm. is there's this, persona that you have to keep up in order to fit into this mold that we've somehow created and the mold makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense that, you know, if you want to go out and you want to, if something, if you need some type of plastic surgery or whatever, and that makes you feel better, I am all for that. I am all for whatever you need to do, but you need to want to make those decisions for yourself, not because you feel like you're 40 and you want to look 20. That's, that's, what I feel like people just don't, that message of do whatever makes you feel good. But if you're conforming to that and you're creating this kind of persona because you feel like the women in the PTA or your girlfriends in your suburban area or you're not going to fit into this social scene, that is what I find absolutely ridiculous. But don't you think, Beth, that sometimes it's insidious that we think we're doing it because we really want to, but really we're doing it for the reasons, the wrong reasons that you Yes, yes, that's a huge portion of the book. It's like you have to, you know, that those truths um, are hard. I mean, I have I have girlfriends um, who live in you know different suburban towns, and they say to me, "Wow, he's they, you just don't care, you just don't care." And I was like, "No, I really don't. I really don't feel like I need to, you know." look a certain way when I pick up my kids at school or fit into a social group so I can go to a golf club or, you know, be at this child. No, I really don't care because the fact of the matter is if I need to change who I am in order to fit into that group, then that group is not for me. 
I know. One of the other, exactly. And I think one of the other, I, I, this made me feel so good. I, you know, and maybe it's not necessarily things that I didn't know, but you sort of put it all together in this chapter, 40 is the new 20. But, you know, uh, people in their 50s, because I'm identifying with that. I mean, right. all of the things that begin to happen that you don't want to talk about, you know, losing your hair, yes. get your yes. skin becomes less elastic. Uh, I mean, all those you know, those yeah. yucky, those things that nobody really wants to say. To but once you about. say them and admit it, hey, your estrogen levels drop. Um, yeah. Even your nose, I like that. I mean, I Everything. didn't like your it. Your nose is bigger. Your ears get bigger. I mean, it's like a whole list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it is a whole list. But those are the things that we don't talk about. Yes. I don't know why I sit around with my girlfriends with, in, with insane amount of wine and discuss all of these things. <laughs> And you have a new, wait, you're 40, so you have, yeah, okay. I but, just turned 40 in September. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. And it, it does yeah. sort of go, I mean, I don't want to say, because this is not the right thing to say, but it doesn't necessarily go downhill, but there are more things that one needs to cope with, but I guess in an honest way, you have first yes. you have to tell the truth, as you say. This is what's yes. happening. And now think, how am I going to deal with it and not pretend that I'm 20, because that's not going to be helpful at all. And that's not where you are in your life. And I think that that's the part that people, like, that's the biggest thing about the book. It's kind of like, why are we sugarcoating everything to make everything better when in, when in all honesty, having a, a much more honest conversation about it is so much more comforting. I mean, people think comfort in numbers, like, okay, we all have to, you know, and, and this is definitely true for girls, teenagers, and, you know, and, and again, the one of, two of the best things about the book is I'm not coming from a place of, I'm not coming from a medical background. I'm not a celebrity in that way. I'm just a regular person. And we all kind of, you know, I'm just I'm coming from a very real place, but there are girls, you know, in those ages, those teenage ages where, of course, you know, they want to wear all the same shoes so they fit in or they all want to wear, you know, whatever it is. But what I found is it still continues in our 20s and 30s and beyond. And it's got to stop because it's, you're ostracizing people because they're not like you in some way. And I just have zero, kind of zero patience for it. You know, and as I sit down and talk to women, it could be one of my celebrity friends, it could be a teacher, it could be the woman um, at the hair place. All the commonality that I found in women was, I just want to know what really goes on. And thank you so much for just putting it out there. You know, thank you for not pretending like, you know, you don't, um, you know, that, that, you know, shaving your legs doesn't become more difficult as you get older. Whatever big or small thing is, they really appreciated that I was like, oh, my God, that is 100% what goes on. Exactly. And I don't know I, like you do get those about. hair, thick hairs in your nose, as you say, yes. you get a mustache or a beard or whatever. You know, yes. that does happen as the estrogen levels fall. Yeah, and it happens Absolutely. to everybody, whether you're a celebrity or you are just, uh, you know, a regular. We are all the same. Yeah, and that's. I think that's the, that's the beauty of this book. I love it. Okay, so uh, that's my favorite chapter. Was but what about you? Is there one that was the my most, yeah. my favorite? Ch- you know, it's so hard because my my writer and I always have this conversation. I mean, I think my. I have two favorite chapters. I like the last. My last chapter is called uh, "The Act Is How Far We've Come." Um, and the why to drop it is because progress can't happen if we keep lying to ourselves and everyone else. I think that's a very important chapter for me. It, it, it talks a little bit about race and self-esteem and things like that. It's very much more personal to me, um, judgment, anything like that. So that's probably, um, that's probably my number 
one chapter that I really, really like. It talks all about, um, like I gave you the example about, um, you know, my, my daughter or running into that girl in high school that was just so awful to you and you think, you know, I'm successful, I know exactly who I am, I have a wonderful family and friends, and then you run into the person in high school and you revert right back to that pitiful, um, non-outspoken, kind of conforming to whatever norm type of person. And then I thought to myself, oh, my God, I really haven't gone anywhere, have I? <laughs> like, you yeah, know, and, and that is you so know. true. I mean, I just went to a, a big reunion that I had. I went to boarding school. And I really had to prep myself and say, you know what, look what I've done, and I have this great, all the things that you just described, I am not going to go back there and be that little 15-year-old or 16-year-old is kind of like uh, terrified of all these other more sophisticated young women. But I could feel it beginning to happen as I got there and really had, I had to concentrate, you know, this is who I am now. And I think that does happen. I think it happens very often when you go back to uh, family gatherings, if you you know whether yes. it's Christmas, Thanksgiving, whatever it is, you kind of revert back to that person that you were when you were uh, you know a teenager, younger, uh, younger, I am so not that person anymore. And then you go back and you're like, oh my god, I literally kind of am. How am I still this person? How do I still? How is it possible? It's kind of like I have to snap myself back into reality. And what about your, we only have, we don't have that, we have a few more minutes. So what about your husband? I mean, you mentioned him briefly in terms of how he reacted, like, hey, you know what, I, you know, I don't want to be 20, I'm 40, I feel great, look what I've done. Yeah, so how does he react to you, like when your book came out, because, oh my uh, God, yeah, we've been together. You have to be honest. I'm honest. I'm okay. 100% honest. He's, we've been together 20 years. We've been together since I was uh, 20, since college, sophomore year in college, so 20 years, forever. Um, and so he knew exactly what he was getting himself into when he met me. Um, you know what? He's amazing. He, I think there's a certain, there, it takes a very strong man to be with a very strong woman and to be outspoken and to accept your wife like that and to, you know, not want to cringe sometimes when I just say it like it is. Um, but he was, he is my biggest supporter. He's my biggest champion. He's like, you go out there, babe, and you make it happen. I mean, he was completely, completely um, supportive of the book. He's like, yeah, you threw me under the bus a couple times in there. But I said, no, I was just being honest about marriage and love and, and relationships and things like that. But he, um, no, he, he, he's, he's all my, I have to say my husband and all, I have a lot of, a big group of guy friends and they all really enjoy, they're really enjoying the book. They, um, you know, they say, oh, it's just like having a conversation with you over the phone. That's what they said. <laughs> well, you know, Beth, that then when you were 20, because you guys met in college, yeah. you did make a good choice. I mean, yeah. right? I mean, even though maybe... Right after I came out of a horrific relationship. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then you learned from that, and you did make a good choice, and you were young. So there was, I mean, uh, your yes. strengths were there, I guess is what I'm saying, even if you didn't recognize them. That's true. I, I made a, I made, I made one decision in a sea of, of, of plethora of bad ones. Um, but yeah, I kind of had come out of a relationship that was really volatile, and I thought to myself, I am never doing this again. I am never doing this again. This is the type of person that I want. Um, and it just stuck. It just stuck, it. and I'm so thankful because I could never take this journey. I could take my media journey and, and all my successes and things like that, but this putting myself out there so raw and so naked in a book for the entire free world to see, <laughs> I could only be with a specific type of man. 
Yep. Well, you've done a great service for us, for the rest of the women in the world. So, I mean, we, we have to say goodbye. So I want to mention the book event, Drop the Act. It's exhausting. Uh, you can buy it online, bookstores everywhere. Beth Thomas Cohen, great book. Uh, free yourself from your so-called put-together life. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was great talking to you. Uh, we, uh, we do have to say goodbye. I am Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.